And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Hello and welcome to The Great Movies Pod, a retrospective film review show where we watch and discuss the movies in Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. I am Dylan Cuellar. I'm Jana Gardner. And I'm Nick Fulton. And today we are talking about Roman Polanski's Chinatown, starring Jack Nicholson, Faye Dunaway, and John Huston, about Jake Giddes trying to hunt down the scoop and corruption dealing with the water and power in Los Angeles. Uh, that was as good of a summary as I could come up with because, kind of like The Big Sleep, it's complicated. Very. Quite, quite. I think leaving it down to water and power, mm-hmm. like uh, Mr. Mulraney's uh, position in Los Angeles's board of commission, mm-hmm. is the best way to best way to keep it. There you go. Um, different sort of power there. that the movie deals with than the power <laughs> he works with, but sounds about right. So. <clears throat> I wanted to start with asking you guys, as always, about uh, your history with this movie, and I also want to specifically ask your history with Roman Polanski films also as well. So uh, I'm going to start with Jana. Jana, what do you got for us on this? Um, I, shock of all shocks, had not seen Chinatown before. Um, The only Roman Polanski film I think that I've seen is Rosemary's Baby. Um, Love Rosemary's Baby. Seen it a few times. Great. Um, had I don't know why I'd never seen Chinatown. I always assumed it was a movie that I would like, just had never watched it. Um, but yeah, so, and I only saw, I think I saw Rosemary's Baby the first time, like maybe five years ago. So I'm not exactly a long, <laughs> long relationship with uh, Polanski's works. But um, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of, of um, Rosemary's Baby. I think it's pretty perfect um yeah and then last this weekend was my first time seeing chinatown so i have brand new thoughts about that and nick um so i've seen this before i think it's probably the polanski that i've seen the most um and spoilers but it's my favorite of his movies that i've seen um i've seen a few others of his movies uh rosemary's baby of course is probably my second favorite of them actually no it's definitely my second favorite of them um, I've seen the, uh, Fearless Vampire Killers, which is, I think, where he met Sharon Tate, or it was, like, a movie that they did where they're two of the three leads. Um, and then I've seen Knife in the Water, which was his first movie, um, a Polish movie. It's very, very good. And then I watched half of, uh, Macbeth last night, but I didn't get a chance to finish it just because I started it pretty late. Um, it was pretty good so far. Uh, you know, the... Shakespeare is a, a writer of good scripts, so it ended up being a good script, surprisingly. Oh, and I've seen The Ghost Rider, uh, the uh, the um, Ewan McGregor movie from like about a decade ago. It's sure. a cool movie. That's a pretty good movie. Yeah, it's a cool movie. Yeah, uh, yeah so I've seen a, a handful of his movies. Um, Roman Polanski, bad dude. We should, yeah. get that, we should get that out of the way. <laughs> Yeah, I like I don't know how much time you want to spend having a whole Roman Polanski discussion. Yeah. Um, no, no condoning. I think it's going to come up with John Huston's character, honestly. Cause... Well, yeah, um, it's a problem, <laughs> and obviously, no one is condoning Roman Polanski as a human or a person nope. or the things he's done in his life. Which um, I don't know. I'm, I we are not going to spend a whole time doing a art from the artist thing for some reason. I guess with 
like Polanski and directors, he's off screen, right? Well, not <laughs> almost <on> always <laughs> off screen. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> largely off screen. And so it's a little bit easier to sort of not engage with that. It's not like watching a Kevin Spacey movie where he's right in front of your face or something. But Yeah, or even like um, I think Manhattan is in this book, but Manhattan <laughs> is it's not just that's, that's another. Yeah, that, that's, that's a whole extra like – the plot of that movie plus it's so yeah. uh woody allen centric um yeah. i mean but if if people just like don't want to see anything that he's involved with like I, that's that's absolutely understandable right. um yeah. i think it's a little it's easier for me to have just dis, like distance from this because it's such an old movie i mean not that mm-hmm. it's like something from the 30s but you know it's still i don't know how how old is this movie? Seventy two, so I can't do that. Seventy four. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's nearly fifty years old. I mean, not that that makes his crimes any better, but it's just easier to like. I don't know. And this is the last. Is this the last movie he made before he had to flee to Europe? I think I, so. right. I think like so. I think yeah. this. Yeah. So that's you know I don't know again if that makes a difference or not, but it's sort of like okay pre um pre scandal have you guys have either of you seen the pianist the yes. okay because no one mentioned the pianist oh i always forget that's him but because i was just thinking how you know that was 2002 and that was you know our last probably major polanski reckoning because the pianist was getting so much oscar attention and he couldn't come to the oscars and did he people did were... he win an oscar for that <sighs> yeah i think he did i think he won yeah. Uh, winner, Roman Polanski, yeah, best director. He won best director oh in God. 2002. He won best director. Yeah, that was. Yeah. Do, do you have pulled up who he beat for best director that year? Um, I can very quickly do it because I just clicked on it. Um, he beat. Oh wow. Um, he beat Rob oh, wow. Marshall for Chicago. Our mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese for Gangs of New York, Stephen Daldry for The Hours, and Pedro Almodovar for Talk to Her. Mm. So that was they. They could have gone with. They could have just. They could have given it to Rob Marshall. Like I mean, Chicago. It was Chicago well, Zero already. Right. It's and it's a well-directed <laughs> movie, but it's it felt very pointed. I remember it feeling very pointed at the time that they were like, "We are going to award Roman Polanski." And it's like, "Oh, is that the stand we want to take, guys?" <laughs> Well, Isn't it the stand that what what film festival did it this past year? Was it the French Oscars or, or something? I think it's just and, uh, uh, the César Awards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where the, uh, that's right. And and the yeah, portrait the yeah. portrait women like walked out. Yeah, yeah. Good on. <sighs> Honestly, from that group, I'd probably take Stephen Daldry from The Hours. Yeah, I haven't seen Talk to Her though. So yeah, I, I haven't seen The Hours, which is pretty wild. Um, but oh, you would love. I the know hours. I would love The Hours. Um, I'm surprised. I yeah, I don't know why I didn't see it in college or anything. Um, but yeah, Chicago. I mean, Gangs of New York is not the best Martin Scorsese movie or anything, but like that's also a well-directed movie. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and at that point yeah. in time, he hadn't oh, won one yet. It would have been easy to be like, right. well, we could give it to the uh, right if you if you want to make some sort of statement. Or... Yeah. Right. Or Martin Scorsese, just give him. Yeah. 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 That was a weird year. It's better than Departed, at least. Yeah. Gangs of New York is not better than Departed. Is that what you just said? That's a wild opinion, Dylan. <laughs> oh, that's a... No, yeah. You can't possibly mean that. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I almost, I almost just let that go by without like, wait a minute. I know. I was trying to, I was trying to see Get what would happen. Kings, Kings of New York has like a really fantastic opening sequence, and then is a fine movie. Is that the, that's the flashback, right? Mm-hmm. Where they all are like charged. It's and the, then, big, yeah, it's yeah. the big like uh, With, riot. Uh, that's the silliest movie scene. I gotta know. It's great. I love it. Um, God. Oh, I, I just love how they have like. Lord of the Rings esque battle charges in the middle of like the slums hey, of man, 1800s five, New York. Five points, like it was a that was a rough place. Um, but yeah, yeah, 2002, Roman Polanski, best director. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah, a little bit easier talking about a film from 1974. Uh, a little bit more distance from all this. Crazy. Uh, well, so Sorry. for me, this yes. is my second time watching Chinatown. I watched it for the first time in high school. I thought it was pretty damn good. Um, watching it this time, I think I would take the damn out of my phrasing, but so <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were, um, like, no pun intended, damn reference, because the water mm-hmm. and the dam, and they talk about, like, dam uh, collapses. Okay, sorry. The Dylan's dam has collapsed. If only I had the wit of Jana. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, I, 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 I think I've seen most of the movies that uh, you both have mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, couple that I've seen that haven't been mentioned, um, Tess, which is possibly my favorite besides Rosemary's Baby. It's kind of a toss-up between those two. Um, I think you have to reckon with some stuff a little bit more with Tess, kind of like you have to do with Chinatown, where instead Rosemary's Baby is just some sick horror yeah i dig it it's also it's also nice that rosemary's baby is pre the accusations and stuff so um rosemary's baby contend with people giving him like just rosemary's baby does have some some bad shit that happens to the female protagonist too oh yeah yeah for sure her relationship with her partner and yeah yeah it's uh it's it's more metaphorical than like actually male well, she, like, yeah uh, i mean yeah. There's, there's demons involved but yeah i mean she is raped by a demon and then her husband lies yes. and says oh yeah i had sex with you while you were sleeping which yeah, <laughs> yeah oh, that, that, and that, the fact that that's his <laughs> that's true. his like no worries excuse is uh <laughs> yeah that movie is so creepy um yeah yeah I, I and i've i've also seen uh the ninth gate which I didn't even know that was a Roman Polanski movie. What the? Fuck? I don't think I did either. Interesting. <laughs> that's that's some bad. Do you guys know this movie? I've heard of it. I have not seen it. Is that the Johnny Depp? It's, it's got. Yeah, it's yeah. got Johnny Depp, and he's writing this like he he finds this book that's like a copy of his own book. Uh, it's yeah. so weird. It's so it's so bad too. I, oh, and Frank Langella's in it too. I and, get that confused yeah. with. There's another movie where John, Johnny Depp plays a writer something window something that's secret. not helpful i'm not gonna remember it the, you know what i'm talking about oh, secret yeah. window. no it's something anyway um i don't think i've seen the ninth gate um but what a weird yeah he just made a bunch of strange like thrillers for a while there <laughs> yeah um i forget why i watched the ninth gate but it was very bad so yeah. Uh, Roman Polanski's not a te- not. She, she, doesn't she, have a spotless. Uh, does not have a spotless right track record. Yeah, that's fair. No, both in real life and in the movies. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so now let's move on to the movie itself. Uh, 
I guess uh, we did kind of talk about our general opinions from... At least from Nick mm-hmm. and kind of from me. But Janet, just up front, how did you I, feel about the I movie? liked it. I really liked it a lot. I don't know if I liked it more than Rosemary's Baby. I would want to watch it again. Um, but it's really good. It's, I think, a pretty excellent you know, example of the noir genre. Um, it's. I'd had a hard time imagining what Nicholson would be like in this role. I haven't watched a ton of like early Jack Nicholson movies. I haven't seen one flew over the cuckoo's nest or Easy Rider or anything like that. <laughs> Um, so I, I think when I think of Jack Nicholson, I think of his later career sort of over the top, you know, really big performances. And so try- something's got to give. Sure. Uh, sure. Something's <laughs> got to give. Uh, what's the Departed. other generically titled movie? Well, The Departed. Jeez Louise. Yeah. I can't get much bigger than that. Um, or even like as good as it gets, you know, or mm-hmm. I mean, freaking Batman oh. or whatever. Um, but I think of him as this sort of big, over-the-top personality and sort of almost like a caricature of himself. And so I had wondered going into this how he would fit into this role, if that would be distracting. Um, but he's really – I think he's really excellent at it. I think it's a you know very low-key performance in a way that I enjoyed considering what I was sort of imagining. Um, but, yeah, it's it's great. Uh, I find the story, like, super fascinating – um, I definitely went down a bunch of Wikipedia rabbit holes of all the real stuff it's based on. Um, yeah, I I liked it a lot. Mm, nice. Um, so we are going to have to discuss the Oscars at some point. Mm-hmm. Would you rather do that before the movie, during the movie, after the movie discussion? Uh, we're here now. We can talk about it now. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> there's a lot. Uh, like it, it really well, there's a lot. Serious. This is this is kind of a crazy year. Yeah. Um, oh, it's a crazy year. Yeah. Just looking at the, I'm, I'm just going down. I think you can come down to like the big movies of the year is Best Picture and Best Director. Mm-hmm. Um, Godfather Part Two, mm-hmm. Chinatown, uh, The Conversation, uh, Lenny, mm-hmm. which Bob Fosse uh, movie. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Day for Night. Which <laughs> Truffaut going to the Oscars? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, a woman under the influence, which Nick and I, woo, it's a favorite of ours. Uh, and the towering inferno. Yeah, <laughs> that this is back when the Oscars used to do this every once in a while, like the Poseidon Adventure, the Towering Inferno. They would, know, what the fuck? they would reward these sort of huge, like blockbuster movies. Um, that now looking back seems. Pretty crazy, but yeah, Best Picture nominee, The Towering Inferno. Who knew? There's, like, unrelated to this movie, so I don't want to dwell too much on it, but both of these, uh, the actress categories, have things that I mm-hmm. feel like I need to bring up. Yep. One, I love Ellen Burstyn, um, but mm-hmm. Jenna Rollins gives what I think is the best performance in anything ever in A Woman Under the Influence, and she should have won. Sure. Uh, oh, easily. And yeah. then in I, the best, I haven't, I, oh, go, yeah, go we, I think we get to it at the end of this book, right? I think it's in this book. What? Woman under the influence. Oh, is it? No, I don't think it is. I thought it was. I've got the book in front of me. We all should. Yeah, we do. Yep, it's second oh, last. It's, this, second it's the oh, penultimate. Nice. It's the penultimate. Wonderful. It's, it's, it's in. It's woman in the dunes. A woman under the influence, written on the wind. Yep, there it is. So we'll get there, but man, I love that performance. And then from the Best Supporting Actress category, we talked about this last week, how Mm -hmm. uh, Murder on the Orient Express had Ingrid Bergman (laughs) 
<laughs> build so high and yes. I'm like really maybe I just don't remember that movie correctly she won an Oscar for <laughs> best supporting <laughs> actress which yeah and we were all talking about like oh she's just here to fill like the Meryl role of oh she's the yeah, star the big name she'll come in do a few scenes won an Oscar yeah. but yep. honestly oh. from that category it should have been Madeline Kahn for Blazing Saddles oh, 100%. I, yes 100% yeah 100%. Like, the fact that she that got that nomination is fantastic it's itself. It's incredible. You know, the, the fact that that was nominated. But, yeah, should have won. That is a win-worthy performance. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so back to, yeah, back how, to how the movie. How do you guys feel about Talia Shower? What about Talia Shire, Dylan? <laughs> well, it's just I feel like every time Godfather to Part 2 Oscar discussions mm-hmm. come up, I feel like Talia Shire is always one of the big contention points. About whether so that I was, was a how... whether that's a worthy nomination or not. Yeah. Um, I think she's fine. I don't know. Like it doesn't. <laughs> I think she's better in two than in one. If I yes. had to say, I think she improves uh, in two over one, and she's it's a more interesting role at that point. But I think they were pretty obviously just all in on Godfather yeah, too, and so yeah. she just sort of got swept into that. Um, the only other thing I was going to add, and apologies if I've told this exact story on the podcast before, but I love it so much, um, which is in the uh, TCM documentary and the Oscar goes to, they're interviewing all these Oscar winners about their sort of feelings about winning and their fellow nominees, and uh, they're, they're interviewing Ellen Burstyn, and she's talking about, you know, being up against, you know, Faye Dunaway and Gina Rollins, and she was like, and Gina Rollins and a woman under the influence that's an amazing performance. That's a remarkable performance. She deserved an Oscar for that performance. Not my Oscar, but an Oscar. And it makes me laugh every time how Ellen Burstyn is like, she deserved an Oscar. Not my Oscar, but an Oscar. And so she's kind of like, sorry, like I don't feel bad. Uh, and it just cracks me up because Ellen Burstyn is like a feisty lady. Uh, but I'm excited to oh, finally get to Woman Under the Influence. Um, yeah, she does. Uh, when we get she there. does have an honorary Oscar. So she did, like Ellen, pretty much nailed it. She got an Oscar, yeah. but not her Oscar. <laughs> Just, not her Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always, yeah, I always feel bad for the people who end up i don't want to say like get stuck with honorary oscars like they have an oscar but they get stuck just, with honor yeah yeah i mean it just it happens to so many people well that's well the oscars are fluky um yeah those actress categories are are fascinating um i'm sure we'll we'll get into so faye dunaway she was also nominated for bonnie and clyde right when we talked about that she was nominated yeah. for mm-hmm. bonnie and clyde and for this okay it's a pretty good run yeah, this was a. This is also that super notorious best actor year when <laughs> Art mm-hmm. Carney wins for Harry and Tonto over <laughs> Albert Finney, Dustin Just... Hoffman, Jack Nicholson, and Al Pacino. Truly a a <laughs> wild Oscars result, but just the most Oscars thing I can imagine happening. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Um. So it, Chinatown and Godfather Part Two both got the same amount of nominations at eleven. Mm-hmm. And Chinatown only won one. Yeah. And that was for best screenplay. Mm-hmm. It's original, right? It's an original yes, screenplay. Yes, it's original mm-hmm. screenplay, yeah. Does Godfather Part Two an adapted screenplay? It or sure something? does. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's so the, the only, reason only why one it won is one. when they're in separate categories, yeah. Yep. Um, I don't know. I wasn't a, the hugest fan of the screenplay, I would say on this watch specifically because and i'll talk about this a little bit more later but i think the second act is just way too long like the movie's an hour and 30 two hours and 35 minutes i think and 
I, I just think a lot. It's not that long. It's like two it's hours, right? Yeah, it's it's a tight two hours. Yeah. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. I mean, it I could have sworn it's two like long. One, it was like <laughs> two eleven. Okay, so a hundred. It's a hundred and thirty minutes. Oh two hours yeah. And 10 minutes. I'm sorry. Yeah. Two hours and ten minutes. Yeah. Not a, two hours and thirty, 30 minutes. minutes. I do that, that all the time. That pesky three. I do that all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, um, I don't think I don't think your point is incorrect though. It does. I mean. I, I am a big fan of the screenplay, but it, you know, it has some lag in the middle. The way that some of these, I think, complicated noir plots often do, because there's just so much going on. He's got to go here and talk to this guy, and then go here and talk to this guy. And, you know, it's, I can mm-hmm. see that. I don't think it lags at all. Um, I love when they I- go and talk to these people and he gets them to <laughs> fight. He gets into that uh, fight at, at the at the old folks' home. It's just like, it's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the, and then the fight at the 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 orange farm mm-hmm. where yeah. the guy with the with the crutch yeah the guy with the crutch oh, yes. trying to beat him in the head with it and at one point he accidentally hits his like own person that's like yes. holding Jack Nicholson back. I like that part too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, the movie just felt really long to me, but um, still very good movie. Um, but moving on to the movie, we start with uh. Definitely kind of reminiscing back to old Hollywood days. It says on Wikipedia that it's set in 1937, mm-hmm. which it's a per- perfect time to set a, a, a neo-noir in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also, something I don't think I noticed in the movie, but uh, everyone, everyone calls uh, Jack Nicholson's character Jake, mm-hmm. but his name is actually JJ, Yeah, which made me think of uh, JJ Bittenbinder from John Mulaney's <laughs> stand-up comedy and... Um, what if J.J. Bittenbinder was the main character of Chinatown? Oh, God. <laughs> and, like, he'd come up to Faye Dunaway and just be like, Street smarts! <laughs> Did they say so. what his actual name is? Like, J.J.? What the J.J. is short Jake? for? It just says J.J. Jake okay. Kittis. That's all. Oh. Um, but, so, someone by the name of Hollis Mulraney comes to visit him, saying, oh, her husband's cheating on him, on her... And, uh, you know, go investigate. And uh, it seems like a pretty standard movie plot. doesn't seem like it would have such a sick ending. Uh, <laughs> pretty harmless. And he takes some pictures. They put it in the newspaper. Turns out, uh, one, that's not the actual Hollis. Or, Hollis the is that... the husband, Evelyn's yeah. wife. Oh, Hollis is a man. Uh, in this movie, yeah. it is. Yeah, that I, I did so. the exact same thing when I was like looking at IMDb to figure out who the, all the actors were, and I was like, Hollis. Oh nope, that's the dude. Okay, yeah. So Evelyn oh, okay, is the okay. wife Evelyn, slash fake wife. Like... Oh, I need to. Mm, w- while we were watching this, uh, I had to point out to Nellie that uh, somewhere when we named our children, uh, this movie must have subconsciously been in my mind because <laughs> the second and third oh, leads are named. <gasps> Evelyn, Evelyn and, and Noah. Noah. <laughs> oh no, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is. Where, where does Noah come in? Noah is her dad's name. No, yeah, Noah Noah's, Cross. Uh... Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, the John Houston character. Nick. <laughs> so not intentional, but uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, that's a that that's a later on you should just tell them it was. Yeah, yeah, but Hollis is, Hollis is, is a man. Is full name Evelyn? Yeah, yeah. Hollis is a man's name though. Oh, okay. Like um the. Hollis Frampton, the filmmaker. Sure. Hmm. I wonder if I know anyone named Hollis. Yeah. 
when you when you type Hollis into Google, the suggested qu- search question is Hollis a boy's or girl's name. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. At least Google has questions yes, about exactly. it. Yes, exactly. There you go. <clears throat> anyway, uh, and it turns out. Wait, where were we? He gets um, the real Evelyn shows up after the photos yeah. are published, and so what starts off, like you said, as a really standard noir plot is immediately sort of turned upside down. Like, it's like it's not what it seems within like ten minutes, right? Very quickly, um, and it's sort of this happens all the time watching these movies where I've never seen it before, but I'm very familiar with it, and so yeah. you know, I'm watching the opening scene, and I'm like, I thought this was the character played by. Faye Dunaway. So I'm just sitting there like, you know, knowing that it's not right, but thinking, was I wrong about who she was in this movie? And then, okay. And then she shows up and Faye Dunaway and her um, just wildly drawn on eyebrows um, mm-hmm. <laughs> roll in to confront him and basically say, what, I'm going to see What is you. up with her eyebrows? I mean, I'm guessing it was just supposed to be the style, like emulating the style of the 30s. I don't know enough about the styles of those times to know if that's period accurate or if that's like a weird 70s thing, but it's pretty distracting looking on her face. It's Sorry, it's fade on away. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah, are I, like fully drawn on. <laughs> I have to say, I love the the flip of you think you know that this is going to be a kind of a romance uh, like infidelity subplot and immediately mm-hmm. not only is that thrown on its head when Hollis ends up dead, but uh, right. like everything you think, you know about this, what's going on in this movie is usurped as soon as she's like, yeah, that wasn't me. I'm right. Evelyn all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so from then on, you're like, Oh shit. Like everything this movie's doing is trying to pull the rug out from under you. And I, I love right. that about this, yeah. the screenwriting of it. it. Cause it's only like, 15 minutes in the movie or something like that like that and you're Mm -hmm. like everything that he learns i don't know how much i can trust it right yeah and i like that he you know i mean sometimes he sort of people get one over on him but for the most part he's like as on top of things as you could be considering what he's dealing Mm -hmm. with like it's it's revealed to him pretty early okay you're you're being played someone's using you for (laughs) ulterior motives there's something more going on here and it obviously takes a long time to unravel exactly what that is but he knows that he's being manipulated and that there's some elaborate plot going on that he just has to figure out what it is i i also really love how um Really, the entire like um, I don't I don't know the right way. Like the crime of the movie is so fucking boring. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, <laughs> I mean it it it's it's monumental, but like it's not like oh this person's trying to like rob a bank or it's not some like Hitchcock movie where it's like oh this spy is in our midst and we have to kill them. It's more it's just like oh these people are just draining Los Angeles so they can bite up at a. Mm-hmm. surplus it's value like, it's um, like real estate market manipulation it's very yeah. like you said it's incredibly complicated but like incredibly banal it's just like oh okay yeah, like and, it's just like real estate fraud <laughs> and i think it's really set up well when like jack nicholson's just tailing this guy mm-hmm. and he's not doing anything except just like oh here's a dried up well right oh this ocean is pretty high yeah oh it's just like oh god this is so boring but it's it's shot so well and it's kind of funny it's also like um the first time we see i guess hollis but mr mulvaney as he's mainly mentioned as um is uh at this like um board meeting almost and like it's just these boring people talking about 
maps and propositions. And the most exciting thing is this farmer just coming in with a bunch of sheep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was that I was like hilarious. That. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not the most exciting world, but it's super dangerous for the most banal, self-serving reasons. Right. And I do like that it's shot like an intense thriller, you know, when he is yeah. just sort of climbing around like water pipes and sort of going around <laughs> fences and things. And it is shot like it's a spy movie and it has that tension to it. And like I said, it is dangerous. There are people out there who are committing murder to ensure that, you know, this plot manipulation happens. But it's, yeah, I, I like how it balances those tones. I jumped when he uh, is kind of investigating the pipes a little bit later on in the movie, <laughs> like just before the Roman Polanski scene. And and you hear yeah. gunshots go off before the, the water yeah. comes by. I jumped out of my mm -hmm. seat because I'd forgotten oh, yeah. about that. Um, yeah, that and it's interesting. so tense. <laughs> the the movie, like you said, it is kind of more um, visually and maybe like maybe even tonally, it's somewhere in between um, a noir and like the seventies paranoid thrillers because it's not shot like a noir um, in the look of mm -hmm. it. It's I mean, it's obviously in color. They don't do the chiaroscuro like lots of shadows over people's faces and things like that. <laughs> even his suit, like. He's wearing a white suit instead of mm -hmm. like you would never oh, see classic suit. Yeah, you're not seeing boat like a uh, uh, Sam Spade or Philip Marlowe dressing like that. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was interesting. Speaking of Marlowe, I did you know anytime watching these sort of L.A. beachy noirs, like there were parts of it that made me think of Long Goodbye. Um, you know, not it just because they're from around not that far apart in time, but telling, taking very different approaches to telling a noir, you know, sort of waterfront L.A. story. Right. Um, yeah. That's all. Mm -hmm. And also one of uh, uh, Polanski's um, in inspirations for this movie was Raymond Chandler, which oh, sure. I think it, it is pretty obvious from watching the movie. And especially having rewatched Big Sleep recently, it's just like, yeah, mm -hmm. it's just L.A.'s a messed up place where a bunch of random crap happens for, and no one yeah, understands Yeah, it. in this case, yeah, for at least sort of institutional <laughs> reasons. Mm -hmm. I found this plot a lot easier to follow than The Big Sleep. Oh, it, right? it's like, so much it's easier to follow. But it, again, it's just kind of like yeah. really weird stuff happens mm -hmm. and a lot of motivations. And e even with this movie, some of the stuff isn't explained. And I'm going to get to that later down the road. Mm -hmm. And that was... Um, I don't know if it was frustrating, but it it didn't either commit to just being as like ridiculously goofy as like Big Sleep was of just like how random stuff would happen and then not matter. Uh -huh. But it also didn't like fully commit to just kind of having an understandable, straightforward plot like maybe Maltese Falcon would. Um, I don't know. Um, also, just quickly uh, i'll get to that later um <laughs> i need to get focused up oh nick when you said you jumped out of your seat when with the pipes i thought you were going to say the scene where he's uh watching mulvaney from the cliff and then just a bunch of water starts splashing on him and he almost falls off <laughs> oh, the cliff God. that was hilarious that was good too yeah anytime he gets uh, caught off guard like that uh and his, <laughs> his reactions are so funny like you said it's he almost gets knocked over washed away and yeah um yeah, so we jumped around a little bit, yeah, but um, yeah. So then we're you're introduced to the actual Evelyn. Um, as always with Faye, 
great hat yeah. um, when she's introduced in the office. She even brings back um, the beret later in the movie, too. And I was like, oh, yeah, she's always she, back in a beret. She got good hats throughout this movie. Yeah, true. Um, I, I, I just, I, th- this is, this, this doesn't really matter, but the Chinaman joke. The fact that uh, the movie's called Chinatown and it explicitly kind of opens on this joke about Chinese people in pretty weird and offensive way. Was there any sort of like metaphorical meaning to that joke at all? Because I, I couldn't get that stupid joke out of my stupid head. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't think there is to the joke itself. I mean, right. the, the joke of the joke is that he... Uh, he just looks like an asshole and he spends the rest of the movie like trying yeah. to clean his act up in front of Evelyn. Like later he says something about like he's, he almost says ass and then he change like he, he stops and changes what he's saying. He's trying to mm-hmm. be a little bit yeah better around her yeah. uh, throughout the rest mm-hmm. of the movie. So I don't know that that joke itself really has any deeper meaning other than uh, what it's doing to that character. It's just like utterly humiliating. Him. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. I, I don't know. It was just bugging me. It's like, is this like a mirror of what the film is? Is it like you're trying to act as someone, but the person already knows what you're trying to do? But no, I guess not. Because um, that was driving me crazy. <laughs> anyway. Um, so then they find uh, Mulvaney drowned in what is essentially a dry ditch. Yeah. I will say, That's interesting. I really like... Um, I like the the cop character, the the lieutenant. I like in movies, books, whatever, TV shows where there's a you're focusing on a private investigator. There's always got to be a cop there who like resents his it's involvement. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I li- and I liked this guy. I liked Escobar a lot. I think he was a like kind of fun. I because like not too antagonistic to Jake, but just kind of like, look, I'm trying to do my job here. Um, I yeah, I thought he was a good a good version of that cop, not an obnoxious version mm-hmm. of it, which happens sometimes. Now Mr. Mulraney is dead. Uh this case has gotten a little bit more interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh obviously Giddis is a bit suspicious. Um the police don't seem as suspicious no. as they really should be. No. This is some pretty incompetent police work. Yeah, honestly. well, it's lazy police work, I think, more than any. And that's I, that's, true. I think that's also the difference is it's trying to show the police are kind of just, you know, okay, well, look, we'll we'll try to figure out who killed this guy, whatever. But Giddis' whole yeah. thing is that that's... he wants to get to the, he knows something's not right. He wants to get to the bottom of what's wrong. Um, and he has that, that drive that the police just don't have. Yeah, because that's what the LAPD is known for: lazy and unforceful police. Uh, well, it depends on depends on what they're investigating. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> so it's not entirely anyway. wrong. No. Um, so later that night, Giddis tries to break into the water. De- uh, the water uh, that the water. It's like a water treatment plant. Is that correct? It's. It's something like that. Yeah, I'm, it's something a water processing plant. Yeah. I don't know. We should. Yeah. Um, uh, before that happens though, like when they see the body, Evelyn is there mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. love the way, um, Faye Donaway plays this. Oh, that's true. Like I was a little bit critical of her performance in, um, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, but I think she's, Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I think she's incredible in this, um, because mm-hmm. she, she, she does a really good job of towing that line where he, like she, she always seems like she's lying and and I mean mm-hmm. she is lying, but she does a good uh, job of being that uh, kind of noir femme fatale where 
you never really know where you stand with her. And then when it's ultimately revealed as to why that performance mm-hmm. has like a whole other extra layer of, of, uh, I don't know. It just has so much more mm-hmm. depth to it than, you know, the traditional yeah. uh, femme fatale character from a noir yeah. because she's, she's lying, but she's not lying in the way that, you know, uh, Felix Dietrichson and, and double indemnity is lying. She's, she's, protecting mm-hmm. herself in a way that we don't typically see uh, female characters and mm-hmm. noirs needing to protect themselves. So I, I think she's so good. And that's the first scene in this movie where you're just like, Oh God, like there's, mm-hmm. she's doing so much with this character. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. I think, and like you said, the real key to the performance is just that she's, she's lying all the time and we kind of assume she's lying all the time, but you don't know like about what or why. Mm. And so you're just always on this uneven footing. It's not like, okay, well, you know, she's obviously lying about this one specific thing. It's like, you can just tell that she's completely on guard about everything all the time. And we discover for extremely good reason. Mm. Um, So uh, yeah, I I thought she was fantastic in this. Mm -hmm. So uh, without, I mean, we're going to spoil the ending by the ending of this, but um, (laughs) so something we talked about when, we were all watching the movie uh, separately was how well known the ending was mm-hmm. and um, how I think when I saw it, I had already kind of known the ending. Nick, when you saw it the first time, did you already kind of know no. sort of where this was going? No, I had um, no idea. And, and I had already seen a few, like this was sort of in the beginning of my noir phase when I first saw it. So I already knew like the trope. So I, I kind of, I felt very clever about, well, she's clearly lying and she's, she's up to something. And uh, oh, okay. once it's revealed as to why, you're like, oh, God. Like, I was right in that she was lying, ah. and I get no satisfaction out of being right for a, a multitude right. of reasons. Like, you're right for the completely wrong reason in, in the worst way possible. That, that's that's why the ending is so bleak, because it, it yeah. does exactly mm-hmm. that to you, where you're like, aha, I know what's going on here. Ah, femme fatale. Like, she's just, you know, she deserves it. And then you're like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Now, now, Jana, what did you know about where the story? Oh, was going? every I knew everything about the whole plot. Too. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, I knew sort of all the water stuff, and I knew exactly what her deal was. Um, it's just, I mean, one like we've talked about before. I don't avoid like unless there's a movie that I know mm. I'm about to see. Like if there's a movie that is, you know coming out this year I haven't seen it yet I know I'm about to see it I won't actively go seek out plot details but just theoretically for movies I haven't seen that I'm like eh I'll probably watch it someday I don't I'll read articles about it or you know I don't avoid spoilers really um so no I knew I pretty much knew most of the beats of this plot um you know and specifically the ending the ending's just been parodied so many times like and referenced and parodied and so you know I don't think there's any way that I make it to 2020 without having um sort of seen like yeah just parodies and references and and things too and because i am interested in specifically like la noir type stories i had i was aware of uh, specifically what this was about and and the water issues and all that so um but yeah Mm -hmm. it's still it's still a good ride i think even if you know where it's going because it is so well executed yeah it's true um so then when it comes down to Faye's performance, how did you read it, having known that much about the ending? Because I don't think I knew that much. Yeah, no, I, yeah, no, I, I knew everything about the ending. But I still, I still just read it as, you know, okay, you know, like 
like the women in the big sleep. Like, you know, they're keeping things from you. You know um, that it's, you know, this mystery. Uh, I tried not to, like, overanalyze it too much and just sort of take it in the moment as I was watching it. I try to always do that. Even when I know how something ends, I try to not get too distracted by watching something and thinking, well, how is this going to play out based on what I know about the ending? Um, so mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm pretty good about keeping myself from doing that or catching myself and be like, nope, don't don't think about it. Like, that's not how you're supposed to watch a movie. <laughs> just watch it beat by beat. Um, so no, I, yeah, I just liked fair. the ambiguity of it um, in, in general. Mm-hmm. I really, I yeah, I really liked it. Um, so, well, going back to when he breaks into the water mm-hmm. department, though, yes. uh, great scene, as Nick already mentioned, mm-hmm. pretty scary when the bullets happen, and then he falls into the well, and then the well suddenly, like, flash floods, yeah. and it's just like, so oh much water, so much water. It's like, he's so screwed, mm-hmm. and, uh, then he starts trying to walk away once he hops the fence, and, like, is there blood coming out of his foot, feet from landing on the gate? I couldn't tell exactly what it was. Yeah, I'm not but sure. I, I, he, I mean, he's he's wet. He's in a bad mm-hmm. shape, and then he gets caught by two goons. Mm-hmm. One of them is Polanski. Yeah, it's, just, it's not fun to see Polanski in a movie. No, I and I, that was surprising to me. Like I, that because I was like, okay, so two things about this scene. One, uh, this is is this the first time we meet Mulville, who's like the the security for the water company. Which I think it's very funny that the water department has a security chief. But sure, <laughs> yes. Um, and so we meet. This guy, Claude Mulville, who we'll see throughout the movie. And then he has his little henchman, um, who is played by Roman Polanski, which I vaguely know what Roman Polanski looks like or looked like at the time. And so he kind of looked familiar. But then he starts talking and just has, like, this character has this, like, thick Polish accent. And that's why I was like, oh, this is Roman Polanski, isn't it? Because there's no other reason why this actor would have this accent in this part. And then, yeah, I put that took me out of it for a second where I was like, why does he talk? Oh, this is Roman Polanski. Okay. Um, but at least he's just in this one scene and does not recur. Very true, but uh, he he does do something pretty iconic. He does. I mess I mess up Jack Nicholson's nose. Right. I will say this. Actually, I did not know. I always assumed his nose was taped up like that because it just got like broken in a fight. Right. Like normally when you see someone with stuff over their nose, oh. I just assumed his nose got broken. He got punched or something. So when his like nose got like slashed open, that I did not know specifically was going to happen. Um, and we mentioned this uh, before recording, too. Definitely didn't know it was going to happen so early. I had just sort of made this assumption that probably right before the final scene, he gets, you know, in a fight and has to put a bandage on his nose. But no, this is 20 minutes into the movie. Disgusting. And then he has to spend the rest of the movie. Although he does take it off at parts. Um, but yeah, it was uh, pretty intense. Pretty gross. Glorifying. Seems painful. Yep. Seems like something I would not want to uh, have happen. I can't even imagine. Like... Ugh. Yeah, no good. Mm. No, bad, very bad. Um, uh, yeah, so after all this, um, after uh, there's a really good scene in the library, right? Is that what happens? I think that's what happens next, where he's trying to investigate some of the stuff in the books, and there's just like the pesky librarian character that's trying to like, just not kind of holding him back from doing his job. And he has to pull the very famous cough and do something at the same time to cover up the noise. Sure. Which I cannot believe that that works. That eh. that page dripping out was so loud. <laughs> um, but through his investigations, he finds out uh, that Mulvaney's um, main associate was uh, 
by the man uh, named Noah Cross, mm-hmm. um, and decides to have lunch with him and finds out that that is Evelyn's father. Mm-hmm. Very quickly, the only thing that we skipped over that happens before this is he um, he hears from the fake Mrs. Uh, Mulray. Oh, uh, why do I have that? After that, in my notes, oh, I don't know. But, it happens okay. around the yeah, same we time, do hear from- and, and that's a pretty short scene. He just, you know, her name's Ida Sessions. Um, she was the fake Evelyn, um, and does not want to sort of tell him who she's working for. And I just really wanted to mm-hmm. mention that scene also because that's Diane Ladd, um, who is great, also yeah. known as Laura Dern's mother. Um, and so, and yeah, she was nominated for an Oscar that year for a different movie. Oh yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, she was nominated for yeah. uh, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Yeah, she's supporting in that. Huh. So, can we, big, big year for her. Can we circle back real quick to the um, yes. the tearing of the, the <laughs> list of names thing? Oh, I thought <laughs> you were going to say the tearing of his nostril, but yes. Yeah, no, to oh. the tearing of... <laughs> yes, tearing yeah. the names of, out of the book, yeah. I love the, uh, the little kind of... All the the creative uh, detective touches that he does. And none of them are very like high tech, but between mm-hmm. that and like the stopwatches that he uses to figure out how long a car has been there oh, for. I loved oh, that yeah, trick. That's really cool. I thought that trick was so cool. I'd never seen that in a movie before. Yeah. Uh, I was like, Why too. do you have so many clocks? And then it's like, Oh, awesome. That's, you know, no GPS <laughs> trackers. How else do you figure out when a, when a car right. left? Yeah. Or um, like, stealing a bunch of the dude's business cards so he can he can pretend to be him later yeah yeah like it's that's how he gets into the water treatment plant originally right yeah 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 yeah. he has mm -hmm. the card it's some great little uh detective hijinks that he pulls oh yeah yeah that was honestly probably my favorite part of the movie um because again i thought the second act kind of dragged in the third act is just about as horrifying super as intense can get. yeah <laughs> um yes so uh one, one one of the main horrifying things uh in this movie is mr noah cross who's evelyn's father uh he has lunch with nick not nick jake jake god now i think your name's also in this movie so you're looking... <laughs> <laughs> yes he uh yeah he has lunch with jake mr with gets fishhead uh Yes, Mr. Yeah, Gitz. Mr. Gitz. Yeah. Well, he, he doesn't pronounce his name correctly because yeah. he's an ass. He um, is. There, there's a part of that scene that is so weird that I can't get out of my head, which is when the sheriffs like parade into his like I don't know his like garden almost. That they're yeah, it's like a little veranda. Of. I don't know. It's yeah, some little yeah veranda. Yeah, and and they're like practicing their. What exactly are they doing? Are they like working on like a promotional thing for the sheriff's office or something? This is the weirdest thing. Yeah, I can't remember what they were doing in that scene. Jana, how weird is LA? Like, <laughs> just by watching this movie, it's just like LA must be this. Crazy I will place. say, I'm not not reflective of of my experiences living in LA so much. Um, That's good. I know. I I think it's a little bit of you know like the rich really are different kind of uh thing because not not uh i I can't speak to what actually happens in these super fancy places i did uh make a note speaking of just like la though that the house um 
I guess it's Faye Dun. I think it was Faye Dunaway's house, or I should say Evelyn's house. Um, looks exactly like the house in The Big Lebowski, and I did not look it up. Like the backyard with like oh. by the water and everything. And I think it's just because it's like fancy rich person LA architecture. Like I don't think it's that distinctive, or it's you know a reference or anything. I think it's just like. That's what a lot of these houses that were built around that time look like. And there's still tons of big fancy houses in L.A. that date back to like the 20s and 30s. So, um, yeah, weird. Mm-hmm. I did note, I think I don't know if it was in this conversation. Um, I can't remember who he's talking to, but I made a note of someone has the comment that L.A. is a small town. Um like talking about just coincidences that are happening. And that is also something, though, that people say all the time where it's like, there's a big city, like four million people live in the city of Los Angeles, I think. And yet the number of times that I have like just bumped into somebody in random places, I'm like, how LA does have a very weird um, small town like <laughs> feeling to it, especially when and I think it works really well in the movie here. And it's because it's a conspiracy. But all these things that feel like coincidences are what really puts uh, Jake on the on the path to figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I love I love this scene. I love his whole. I love I love John Huston in this movie. Um, I oh, think John he's Huston such a great villain. Um, I yeah, he's does he? How many things did he act in? Like he does he act all that often or not really? He has more acting credits than directing credits. Really interesting. He has seventy seven acting credits. In wow, I didn't realize there was that many. Four directing credits. I had no idea. Yeah. Um. Some some really weird acting credits. Um, that's so interesting. Like uh, he's in the fifth Planet of the Apes movies. Like that's all right. Sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, so funny. And I'll, I think I see the only other John Huston thing I wanted to note that I th- found very funny about this scene and the movie in general because I like weird meta things is that at this point in time John Huston was more or less. Um, Jack Nicholson's father-in-law because this was yeah, right yeah. after Jack Nicholson and Angelica Houston. Oh my God, really? Jack Nicholson and Angelica Houston got together in 1973 and were partners for like 17 years, like almost straight through to the 90s. And so like oh so all these scenes with Jack Nicholson and this like creepy father figure, John Houston, <laughs> like Jack Nicholson was like together with John Houston's daughter in real life. So I thought that was very fun. <laughs> That's so Isn't that so? Yeah, it really adds an extra level of like, ugh, creepiness. But John Houston is just a great villain. He's so, yeah. so I don't know how. Movie. I don't know how hot this take is going to be, but he may be my favorite villain performance in anything. Ever? In anything. It's not a... It's really fucking good. It's, yeah, so it's not a bad take. He's really good. He probably is what... like. He's what stands out to me the most, um, like, now that I've seen the movie. Especially the last 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, it's just... because so many of the things, so much of the imagery, so much of it is so familiar. But I didn't know, like, his, I hadn't seen clips of him in the movie or anything. So his performance was the real standout to me on my initial watch of, like, dang. <laughs> very, very impactful with with not all that much screen time. But, man, all every scene he's in, he's just... Yeah, that's what Taking I was going to... He, he's doing a little bit of, like, the the um, Hopkins and Sounds of the Lambs thing where you don't mm-hmm. realize how little he's actually in the movie. He's really only in it for three right. scenes, like the fish head dinner. Right. And yeah. then the two scenes towards the very end in, in Evelyn's backyard mm-hmm. and then in Chinatown. He's and not, the very he's, end, yeah. He's not in it a lot at all, but, man, he just looms over this entire movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we, there's only one scene of him acting 
like uh like he's not the villain also mm-hmm. which is i think another thing that helps with that is the majority of his scenes are after it is revealed that he is like the truly main villain of this whole set up and he gets to just go off and it's it's so gross he's the worst mm-hmm. but as nick also pointed out the best yeah. well because he has he has so many good lines and so many memorable um moments that yeah it really... if you don't bring the water to la bring la to the water yeah yeah just yeah just excellent um so i i realized why i put the ida stuff for some mm-hmm. reason i had it written after the meal is um she brings up the obituaries ah, yes and that's when they figure out they is evelyn starts kind of helping him with the investigation at this point mm-hmm. um he and evelyn realize that uh most of this land being bought up is in the names of like these dead people mm-hmm. from this one nursing home yep and it's like well that that that's uh strange yeah. to say the least um yeah, yeah the, the plan the whole plan in in general is like it's pretty elaborate, but pretty logical. Like, once you see what they're doing, you're like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't have thought of that, but not a, you know, not not a terrible plan. They just get caught. Mm-hmm. Now, he, now, here's my question. Who, who's, who hired Ida Sessions originally? Either... I don't know. Either Noah or somebody who works for Noah. Yeah. Okay. Like I really the what was right. their intention between They're really just trying to embarrass Hollis um into doing what they want in terms of like building the dam. Because we learn at the beginning, like in that court. They're gonna they they just murder him twenty minutes later. Well so at least the way I think of how this goes, it's sort of how the, the screenplay in this movie um uh, goes with a lot of like the backstory type things or like that a lot happens off the page and off screen in this movie that you kind of just have to put together on your own. So mm. presumably they said, Hey, do this. We're, like, look, 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 look at what we can do. And he still says no. So they just kill him. Um, but it's a lot of also like in regards to Jake's backstory, like we haven't talked about Chinatown. Um, oh, right. The, like the actual, <laughs> Chinatown in the mm-hmm. movie Chinatown mm-hmm. and like Jake's history. So we don't really get that much of a backstory to Jake. We know that he used to work in Chinatown and that X mm-hmm. happened and now he's not working in Chinatown anymore and he's not really a cop. And yeah. you kind of have to, he alludes to something happened to a woman, but beyond mm-hmm. that, you really have to, the movie makes you put those pieces together Um for yourself and i that's what i really like about the economy of the script it's it actually reminded me did jake's character remind you of anything that we've talked about recently uh, i don't know no. he, he reminded me of rick blaine where oh sad boy no well not just that but like rick so what we know about rick and casablanca is that he used to be oh, sure. like he used to be like a revolutionary type character who's right, working against this. Anti-fascist, yeah. Yeah, who, and then all of a sudden he's, uh, you know, isolationist who's just running his bar. Mm-hmm. And Jake, you know, used to be um, a cop working in this neighborhood that has all these problems. Something bad happened and now he's not really doing it. Like he's not trying to 
help people anymore. He's a private eye who's just like uncovering affairs. Like who cares? Right. Um, and Rick at the end, like his arc, we know that he kind of comes around and does the right thing and he manages mm-hmm. to do a lot of like tangible good in the world. Um, in the arc of this movie, Jake tries to do the right thing and he just makes everything worse. Like mm-hmm. not and mm-hmm. like not purposely or not even due to his incompetence, right. just because that's how bad the world is that they live mm-hmm. in, where if you try to make things better, you're only going to bring more pain and suffering, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is, yeah, it's a bleak, yeah. dark, <laughs> like, this is, one yeah, of the I, we'll talk, movies. right, well, and we'll talk about the ending, I, you know, in a bit when we get to it, um, but yeah, it, I think it's, I think that's a really good analogy, and it's also very indicative of the difference in filmmaking philosophy in 1942 versus mm. 1974. Like this is a very right, like this is a very 70s New Hollywood take on this, which is yeah. like, mm-hmm. you know, because even like The Big Sleep has some dark stuff that happens in it, but you know, at, at the end, for the most part, the good guys went out. Yeah. You know, just lost some people along the way, but you know, even if you don't really understand what happened, it works out mostly okay. Um, not so much here. Like you said, everything, it just kind of falls apart. And I think that's, you know, has to be an influence of the time the film was actually made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think another thing that makes this movie pretty interesting is a lot of those old noirs being in the code era, mm-hmm. they couldn't like actually explore just how terrible a lot of people were. It's kind of just like, mm-hmm. oh, these pers- people are influencing people in like a negative way mm-hmm. or there's this murder behind the scenes. and Like, we talked about this. In, in the book and in the original script of The Big Sleep, they had, like, uh, I forget the sister of Lauren Bacall's name, uh, but, oh. like, she's, like, naked. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. like, there's, like, blood everywhere right. in the original. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, this is definitely up Nick Sally. But I saw a tweet recently uh, quoting Toni Morrison mm-hmm. um, that maybe kind of described why I like... Uh, Rick and Casablanca a lot more than Jake in Chinatown, and at least how, where their stories go, which is um, Tony Morrison uh, says there's nothing more boring than evil and nothing more interesting than goodness, which I think is inherently kind of what I enjoy in movies and what interests me. Um, and I, I do like the honesty of being more forthright about like how evil people in power could be. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of this oh, look how bleak it is, was just kind of like, oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I. Thanks. I, I'm kind of with you. I do. I like the ending, um, you know, because. It oh, the feels, ending's still, right. still great. Just it, a lot of the stuff along the way. Sure. Is just like, okay, and, yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, I, get it. I, I don't want every movie to end this way, but I do appreciate when a movie ends. It's just like, yeah, yeah no, the, the people in power tend to just get away with it and people get hurt yeah. and killed along the way and everything's terrible. And no, I don't want every movie that I watch to end like that. Um, but I do think it worked <laughs> out well. And um, yeah, apparently, you know, the ending, I guess, is very or was very controversial and, and led to, because this original screenplay had a happy ending and Roman Polanski was like, no, mm-hmm. everything's terrible. <laughs> the world is terrible and the ending should be terrible. Um, and I think the movie would not be as well remembered if it just, if everything were, you know, sort of he saved the day and everyone lived happily ever after versus what actually happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think this movie works with a happy ending. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I think that's fair, but I think just a lot of the stuff along the way, just these beats of like, oh, things are confusing and oh, things are terrible. Just it kind of bored me at some point. Fair enough. But I, I know that's more of a me thing. And I think Nick hearing that is just about blasphemy. <laughs> to... <laughs> it is. Okay, cool. At least we can understand where we are in each other's yes. pages. Um, <clears throat> so, one of the next things that happens after they go to the nursing home and have just the hilarious fight with these people, which also, before we, before we move on, I love the way that uh, Jake has to try to like maneuver his way into understanding the nursing home with the, the, the person that... Uh, it's kind of like the caretaker of it by just like asking these questions and seeing if he can get any information. And when he rejects uh, Jake, he's like, that's exactly what I want to hear. So like, yeah, he's like, I want to put my father here. I don't want you giving out information. I don't want any Jews here. Yeah. <laughs> Which he's like, he's having to have to play this like really gross person right. to try to fake get information yeah. out of this guy. Yeah. I, I liked that um, moment. I liked his little sort of undercover. Uh, <laughs> And Face just having to play along, like, what the right. fuck is this man yeah. doing? I thought he was good in that scene. Mm. Um, so this was probably one of the main things I would cut is after the uh, the uh, nursing home and the, the they get chased away again by some of Mulville's, mm-hmm. uh, like, bodyguard people. Um, they go back to Evelyn's house and they do the hanky-panky. Oh, of course. The sex scene is what yeah. you would cut out? You don't think this is necessary? Well, just a, a story about someone who is being sexually abused and trying to hide her daughter from being sexually abused. And sister-daughter from being sexually abused. And there's this person investigating the sexual abuse with her that he doesn't know about yet. And you think, yeah, I'll have sex with this guy. I mean, I, I don't it, think that just because she's been a victim of sexual abuse doesn't mean she's allowed to sleep with a hot 100%. Jack Nicholson, like, if that's what she's no, into. I, I, I totally agree. I just, I don't think the movie built up any sort of connection between the two, really. It wasn't like Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart well, there's this movie of, like, tension not, and interest. Almost it's no just one can like, be like Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart is part of the problem. Yeah. But there, there's no moment before when they're drinking literally like a minute before the sex that I think there's any sort of romantic interest between the characters. Yeah, I, I, and I kind of wish, given the whole ending about the sexual abuse, it stayed more investigative and platonic. Yeah. But you're right. Just because she is a victim of sexual abuse doesn't mean she, she can't, uh, can't enjoy sleep with Jack Nicholson a hot if night she wants with to. Jack Nicholson. Like, go for yeah. it. But just in the context of where the movie was going and how the characters had developed to that point, Felt so unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. Um, my only notes about this scene were where are they here? Two, one. Um, like I did. I, I'm sort of with you that it sort of comes on a little bit suddenly. Like I made a note of the way like the music up sort of abruptly changes right before they start having sex. <laughs> like, like it's it was quite funny because I'm like, oh, okay, the music is like cueing you to be like, all right, now change change of dynamic. Um, they're gonna get it on. And then also just, um, I can't remember. I made a note that something reminded me of body heat in this scene. And now I'm not sure exactly yeah. what it was. I mean, maybe it was just like a gen- generic vibe, but it did make me, it was evocative. Or I guess maybe body heat's evocative of this to uh, give it its credit. That's true. Um, Although I remember when I complained about um, body heat being too much of a ripoff of film noir mm-hmm. and not like adding anything besides just like cheesy mm-hmm. one-liners and detective and femme fatale. I think this movie 
was a lot better of just updating these old ideas into a new realm. And like, this is what I kind of wished Body Heat was a little bit more like. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think also at the time there was just more of an expectation that, like, these characters would have to have sex, up. right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's just, And I, you know. I just wish that the expectation yeah. wasn't there these... to force something that I think right. the film would have been better without. Yeah. Um, yeah, having yeah. to go but, that way. I mean, I'm not going to complain about someone getting on with young Jack Yeah, Nicholson. No, they both, yeah. that, that is kind of their only chemistry is it's just like, well, they're both very, like, this yeah, is they're sort both of both of them at their of prime. Of course yeah. they're <laughs> Yeah, this is like, yeah, there, there was always that expectation of like, well, you know, uh, if there's two attractive people, what are you going to do? But I, I do agree that it's, you know, and, and maybe it's supposed to make you uncomfortable. I don't know how much of that is intentional or not, but, you know, retroactively, it's definitely like, ugh, okay, well, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, uh, it's a thing that happens, and yes. it's a thing that is immediately forgotten after. Well, yeah, because very quickly, it's not that long after this that basically, you it's know, we start, well, okay, yeah, that we basically start unraveling what's happening with the other young mystery woman who's hanging around. Yeah. I think that's kind of in keeping with the movie though. Like when mm-hmm. Jake thinks something good is happening in his life, it immediately goes bad. It also like earlier in the movie when he's talking to Evelyn about um her marriage to Hollis and he brings up affairs, like she sort of implies that she's had fi- affairs a lot and she says something along the lines of them always being fleeting or something something to that mm-hmm. effect where you get that she's sort of um like she sleeps around sort of as a, a defense mechanism. I, I right. Think, like without past. attachment. Yeah. With yeah, like without right, attachment yeah. or anything. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I got, I got that impression as well where she's sort of like, yeah, she has mm-hmm. flings or affairs, but she does not get invested in anybody, mm-hmm. which, you know, probably a, a fair <laughs> choice on her part. Well, as we enter the third act, uh, after the hanky panky, um, Evelyn gets a call from some mysterious person and immediately starts driving somewhere else and Jake follows her to a house in which he sees Evelyn kind of get into an argument with a young woman mm-hmm. and he immediately is like, oh, this is Mulraney's mistress and she's holding her hostage. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's, it feels like it's going to be just another film noir kind of thing. Uh, oof! No, yeah. um... It's her, it's her sister, and at that point we're like, what? Yeah. Um, yeah. They, don't, we don't get the reveal entirely at no, this point. No, they, yet, they give us a but. little brief. So it's really just like a, a brief sort of scene where she says, you know, it's not what it looks like. This is my sister. And you go, oh, okay. Um, but then, yeah, we, we have now a brief interlude where poor um, – Ida Sessions ends up Poor dead. Ida. Yeah, she's she's used and discarded. Um, but now we have the like very big reveal that they uh, finally did an autopsy on dead Hollis and that it was uh, salt water in his lungs, not fresh water. So dun dun dun, he was killed somewhere else. It's bad for the glass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> indeed. Um, I just thought that was, you know, I I guess maybe. It, it comes kind of late, like like you were saying, Dylan. I think 
so much is crammed into this third act. Like, it, that really everything yeah. starts happening all at once. So we get the reveal of the sister. We get this sort of update in the murder case. Um, and then everything, it, it makes for a great... It makes for a great final act. Um, it's exhilarating. Yeah, that everything just starts. But it does happen very quickly. Mm-hmm. And um, we start to understand uh, at least where Mulray was murdered, if not why. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, that he was dropped, you know, wasn't killed where he was found and was dropped there. Um, and so they have to figure out where where is their salt water. We haven't even talked about... Uh, James Hong in this movie at all, which really threw me for a loop. The um, the actor who plays her butler, Khan, um, is yeah. the like fantastic Chinese character actor James Hong, who has been in eight million things. Um, you know, you <laughs> would you would know him um, from his many different characters he voiced in um, Last Airbender. He pops up in uh various roles. oh really he's in yeah he's in he's an avatar in, in in the tv series he pops up voicing a handful of different people um but he's also i think he's the dad in kung fu panda um is what i think yeah, of him in i think so but he's also i mean what i think of him in is is just blade runner short blade runner As, uh, um i also um, um what's Han- hannibal chu in blade tyrell runner. is is his name tyrell but he's like the main person that sort of yeah Runs the robotic corporation. Yes. Um, I think of him partly because it's iconic and partly because I just watched it like a week ago on Hulu. Um, he's the maitre d' at the Chinese restaurant in the famous Seinfeld episode. The Chinese restaurant. Have you seen that, Dylan? Have you ever watched Seinfeld? Uh, okay. I mean, no. it's, but it's, little, it's quite before I mean, your time. Some it's quite before your time, which is fine. Uh, Nick had to step away and rejoin us. And now we're talking about uh, James Hong and how much he rules. Um, oh, I could hear. Yeah, I had a awesome. quick... Okay, okay so I had a quick diversion yeah. about how he's uh, awesome. So, yeah. Um, where were we otherwise after I monologued about that for a while? It, in all the amounts of salt water that oh. this guy could have been drowned yeah. in, it's just a pond. I know. It's, it's a fun kind of fake out, though, because you hear salt water and you're like, the ocean, the Pacific Ocean <laughs> is right there. They must have taken him out in the ocean. And it's like, <laughs> no, this tiny backyard pond is a salt water pond. <laughs> I liked that reveal. I love like water's yeah. water's used as such an interesting metaphor in this movie because mm-hmm. it's it's used as two things. Like it's obviously his death, um, mm-hmm. but conversely, like obviously water is important uh, to live, and that is also the uh, the way that uh, the water is being used in this movie is basically the right. the means with which they are. Um, kind of procuring this land at mm-hmm. what will soon be a, a steal of a price. So, I don't know. I like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. water is used as a metaphor for both life and death in this movie. A- absolutely. Yeah. And there's a reference um, we have, haven't talked about it much, but like, so Mulray, the character, is pretty clearly in, uh, inspired by William Mulholland um, of the his eponymous drive in, in Los Angeles. Uh, William Mulholland was like the first head basically of LADWP at the Department of Water and Power, which, or what he was sort of the, it wasn't quite LADWP yet, but he was in charge of getting water to Los Angeles. That was Mulholland's whole deal. And they talk about, they reference in the movie, speaking of like the power of water, um, that Mulray um, was opposed to the dam that Noah Cross and the city of L.A. wanted to build 
um, and references that he previously had made a mistake um, when he had a dam broke and it killed a bunch of people. And that's a reference to the 1928 St. Francis Dam Dam disaster, which um, killed hundreds of people, including many children, in Los Angeles when a dam failed. And it, like, ended William Mulholland's career. So, yeah, and this, you know, don't they, a lot of... <laughs> don't they say that there was a, a dam that had killed, don't they say, like, 500 people mm-hmm. or something like that? Yeah. And, yeah. And that's, that is a reference to basically what really happened. I think it was, yeah, the 1928 St. Francis Dam disaster. Um, it, Mul- William Mulholland inspected it, gave it his thumbs up, said it's good to go. And then literally later that day, um, it killed... Um, almost 600 people when it collapsed. So, yeah, yeah. But no, I just, to your point, like, there's so much of this movie is about, like, the power of water, to keep using the same words over and over. But like you said, like, you could drown in this, you know, a dam can fail and kill five or 600 people, or this, like, one guy can drown in a small water, you know, pool Mm -hmm. because he's trying to uh, manipulate where and how water is used in the city. Um, it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, I will say it's frustratingly convenient that, like, the main clue is literally <laughs> right there at the crime scene mm-hmm. for him to realize how it happened. Yeah. Uh, sure. I don't know. You know. Given all the awesome police work so far, it's just like, yeah. oh, look, it's the bifocals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the bifocals really do make it uh, sort of all come together. Like we said, it... it it drags out and then all comes together kind of at once. But I think it's, um, like, satisfying, I guess. It, yeah. it didn't bother me too much. Yeah. Well, why, there, why would the police have searched this pond? You know, it's, it was his right. house, but it was nowhere near where he died. So why would they? Right. Yeah. But if, if these people are trying to drown him and get away with it, why did they realize, oh, the glasses he was wearing when we <laughs> drowned him are right there? Eh, they're, they're not... They're not that good, I guess, is the only explanation. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And at the same time, like, they still get away with it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's, yeah, in the end. In the end, it does not matter. Yeah. This this movie, I think, Um, plays very well now. Like, I think if they were to, to make the exact same movie with the exact same cast now, it would feel too on the nose for our current political Mm -hmm. culture. Um, Oh, yeah. And I would say that there are a lot of um, not just physical but personal um, comparisons you could make to Noah Cross and current, um, let's say, world leaders, both in terms of they're they're kind of big, blustery men Mm -hmm. um, with known histories of uh, sexual assault and attractions Mm -hmm. to their... I was going to say maybe and, inappropriate, uh, yeah, expressions about their daughters. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that it by the end everyone knows he did it, but there's nothing you can do about it. Right, it doesn't doesn't particularly matter in the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, an interesting thing because okay, I'll just get to the ending in case anyone doesn't know it, but uh, Cross is uh. Evelyn's father, he raped her when she was fifteen. She was fifteen, yeah. and the daughter, the the sister that she has at a house secretly is also her daughter. Mm. 
She's just about the most messed up thing yeah. in the history. And, and, and there's an extended sequence. And this is the sequence that I have just, I've just seen it parodied 18 million times, unfortunately, which is the, like, him slapping the her slap scene. scene. Yeah, my sister, my daughter, my sister, my daughter. And he's, like, mm-hmm. trying to slap her. And she's, you know, uh, kind of having a very understandable breakdown. Um yeah, it is. It's quite upsetting. Uh, even even having, like I said, seen it out of context and uh, referenced a million times, it's uh, it's pretty effective and upsetting that scene. But but to bring it back to Cross himself, um, between that and in Tess and in Rosemary's Baby with uh, the husband devil thing, mm-hmm. um, it's 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 interesting that Polanski made so many movies about powerful men that have sexual assaults that get away with it and yeah well not really in tests so much but to a point and it's just like he's he's also a pedophilia rapist yeah. and all the all these messages kind of feel a little bit diluted by the fact that it's done by a I mean I think if anything I I almost feel the opposite about it not that I have any positive feelings towards Polanski but it's just sort of like yeah like that's that is how the world works both in his films and in the real world I don't I mean I like I said I don't no no credit to him necessarily uh, for that I don't don't mean to imply that like he really went out there and proved a point but it, it doesn't like aside from him just being a just garbage person um it doesn't if anything i'm just like yeah no it really um it's a very it, it's evocative, <laughs> very effective yeah, yeah. um I, yeah. I i think it kind of just goes back to what i was saying in like eight and a half or you know we talked about the scene where it's like his dream and he's treating them <laughs> yeah. all, all these women like circus animals yeah. and it's like oh it's a metaphor that men are bad to women but then you read about uh fellini being horrible to women on set and it's oh. like then what what's the point of you making this message and it's just the same thing yeah. here but just like an actual sexual assault yeah child i felt more that way about eight and a half i, I mean I'm, I'm on the same page with you about eight and a half um as i'm sure we talked okay. about at the time but but also because i think i don't know i hated that scene eight and a half like i don't that's the worst. i don't think i don't think it's critical of uh guido <laughs> at all i think that scene is like he's gotta tame the women he's gotta take out his whip and women are like animals to be tamed like i don't i don't think that scene is harsh enough on i think Guido is my take i think it was like critical of his fantasy sure in somewhat or just like look how crazy this men can be yeah. with the way they see women, but at the same but, time that's how Fellini was right, see women. and I, which I which I think at least for me comes comes through that that's how he sees women, um, but I, yeah, yeah for for whatever reason when it comes to this, and again I think it's just because there's a little bit more separation, um, yeah the the ending of this like this scene and then this sort of actual ending the last time we see Cross is like one of the most upsetting things I've ever seen yep. in a movie. Like, it's just the absolute bleakest ending. I guess we should get to the the final sequence here. Final yeah, scene. now that we've talked around it a bunch, where we actually uh, go to Chinatown for the final scene of the movie. <laughs> Finally! We get to Chinatown. It's like the Bride of Frankenstein. You've been waiting. You've been here on the whole movie. <laughs> it so is! We're going to go to Chinatown. Yes. It's exactly like the... I will say, I had... So, knowing what the movie was about... And then watching three quarters of the movie, and I was still like, really weird to call this movie Chinatown. Like, 
it, it makes more sense to call the movie like the valley because the, the movie's about the valley it's not really about <laughs> chinatown um but it is a great it's a great setting for that final sequence um nick how how do you uh feel about uh i don't know i think i guess you have talked a lot about it, but i just can't get over john houston the final 20 minutes between the scene where uh i i mean jack nicholson has like such a good line where he's like how much more could you buy with this money from the valley the future like, mr gets can you eat better yeah <laughs> such a, what 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 a slime what a slime yeah. ball but um and and then also when evelyn's bringing Catherine out and he's like trying to grab evelyn and Catherine and it's, oh, oh yeah man it's so good yeah yeah, well, I mean, that's that's what this movie's sort of about. It's not about how much better he can eat. It's all just about power. That's all mm-hmm. Noah yeah. Cross, that's all people who are like Noah Cross want is power. Mm-hmm. And we can make the... <clears throat> Trump. We can make the allusion to our current political climate again. Like, how much better could... <laughs> how much better is a billionaire going to eat? Well, mm-hmm. none. That's not what it's about. It's about getting power and wielding power right. over other people and that's why this movie's so good and so upsetting it's like yeah mm-hmm. it's one of the darkest movies that i can think yeah. of yeah yeah it really is yeah and it doesn't it, it does it without having to be like sallow or something where it's just like oh, right oh look at all this right rape and it's, violence it's confronting you with i mean so the the stuff with cross and and evelyn and and the, the sister daughter is you know, pretty heightened. Um, but, you know, obviously it's a thing that happens. And then just the rest of it too. Like it's so realistic. It's like realistic. I mean, it's dark in such a realistic way that it makes it even darker. Like you said, it's not something that's just like this exaggerated, here's the worst things people can do. It's mm-hmm. a little bit of yeah. that, but it's also just, you know, like, like you were saying, it's just about power. Like I, I think it does a really good job of saying it's, you know, yes, it's about money, but at a certain point, the money itself doesn't have any intrinsic value. It's just the power. Like, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. what are you going to do with another million dollars? Not the point. The point is manipulating and having the power and having the control. And, ugh, yeah. Yep. Super dark. Bummer. Um, also, so we talked about how the LAPD were not being, uh, yeah. as the LAPD yeah. is kind of known, until the final scene where... <laughs> Rich man is literally grazed on the arm by a bullet and they shoot just a woman open. in the back of the head while she's going <laughs> right, away. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Not just that, but like she's really far away. Like they're just asking for that, collateral that, damage. I know. That that is what that's so another thing. So the, just to you know All their police cars are right, right there. Chase her down. Yeah. Basically put up roadblocks. Right. So yeah, in this final sequence, they're the uh, Evelyn and her daughter are going to make a break from it or make a break for it, but it's too late and Cross knows what they're up to and then everyone converges in Chinatown and like you said, the police are there um, and she's trying to escape and again, I I knew like more or less how it ended, but as she was driving away, she got so far that I was like, oh, I think she's going to get away. Maybe I don't know how this movie <laughs> ends um, because yeah, they it's, I don't know how realistic it is, um, but yeah, I really, she's so far gone that they're still shooting at her and then apparently just shoot her just horribly straight through the back of the head, even though that car is like a full two blocks down the street <laughs> by that point. Um, that really stood out to me in that final sequence. 
and it's so bloody. it's so bloody. It's bloodier than I was expecting. It, it looks like when uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger shoots the T one thousand in Terminator Two <laughs> yeah, in the back yeah. of the head with a and shotgun, and it explodes. Point, like, yeah, and its head like opens up from like the yeah. eye, but instead of just like this metal weird robotic being, it's, it's uh, Faye Dunaway's face. Yeah, her whole it really face. it really caught me off guard because the movie's not gross like even when he gets like his nose slashed or whatever there's like a little bit of blood but then it's you know covered up for the most part but it's immediately like covered right exactly hands and he's on the ground and you don't really see too much i did not yeah that caught me off guard that was quite gross it's gross it's only on screen for a split second right yeah they don't linger yeah maybe like two shots that like pan over like the car Mm -hmm. and she just happens it's not like yeah, it's not like dun dun. Yeah. <laughs> but it's evocative, like it sticks with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then it'll, of course yeah, it the, only needs, the yeah. It only needs to be on screen for as long right. as it is and you you remember it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the, the truly 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 dark ending, which is poor Catherine being yeah. terrified in the car and Cross coming to get her and taking her away, which is just like the absolute darkest thing that could happen at the end of this movie. Yep. Yeah. Nauseating. Yeah. Yeah, you're just like, no, no. Oh, God. Awful. Uh, and then the final, not last line. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Turns out that's not the last line, which I didn't remember that. Right. I mean, I would have assumed, swore that it, it was. Also, the, I do like the delivery of it. Um, is like very naturalistic. It's again, it's such a famous line that you hear it referenced yeah, and it's always really. sort of intoned very dramatically. But the guy, he just, you know, he says it very conversationally. He's just like, you know, he's just you know, like, Jake? it's not getting any better. Right. Man. Like, what you going to do? Yeah. He's, um, I mean, he's I, so defeated yeah. when he says it. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There's just, there's just nothing. He doesn't there. even know the whole <laughs> story. Yeah. Yeah, it's from someone who we like. I don't. I don't even know that character's name. It's just one of Jake's kind of uh, not not henchmen, Buddies. but uh, like one of his lackeys. He says associates. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah he's a couple of little sort of assistant guys. Yeah. Sad. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. it. That's that's the end of that uh, dark movie. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think I think we pretty much covered all the you know main takeaways and and my feelings about it. I I do think so. Yeah, apparently the original script, the ending had Cross getting killed and Evelyn getting away, um, which just which Polanski said would be too neat, uh, would not be a good ending. And so him in town had a huge fight, and Polanski apparently himself rewrote the ending to have. Evelyn get killed and Cross get away with it, um, which yeah is uh, probably I don't know that the movie would be as memorable and well regarded if it had a happy ending. Yeah, and I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to make. I'm not making any excuses for Polanski's <laughs> subsequent behavior, but up until this point in his life, I mean, I don't. I don't mm-hmm. know. This is certainly before um, the the rape of the girl that he right. Um, fled the country for uh but i know there were other cases so i don't know where this falls chronologically Mm -hmm. with those but um the other the other like key things in his life up to that Mm -hmm. point in time are that his family died uh in the holocaust uh like i Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. i think his mother and he had other family members who died at auschwitz 
and mm-hmm. then um yeah. like obviously his wife and his pregnant wife child was, were yeah, yeah were murdered uh by the manson family so like yeah he'd seen some shit like yeah no yeah. no excuses for any subsequent behavior or anything he's done but he had at least, uh, yeah at least creatively through some stuff like, in his life yeah, right. like, of, cor- of he, he course. He understood where, like, powerful people Yes, are. yeah, he, he knew from sort of darkness and evil and what have you. Yeah, yeah, so the, mm-hmm. the bleakness certainly does not surprise me at yeah. all. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, agreed. And I've seen quotes of Town later saying that he he kind of appreciate he, he came to appreciate. He came uh, around. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've read both things, so I'm not really sure. Um, which he he more stands by, but I mean I certainly think that it's a, a better ending than if um, mm. she gets away with it. I I also th- thought that I'd heard that the original ending wasn't that she totally gets away with it, but that she kills Noah and she gets arrested. Mm-hmm. That could be which which sort of feels like the original ending to um, Get Out, which I think also oh, yeah. I think also would have, would have been a much worse ending for that movie. Um, Agreed. Thank God, Get Out. Ended yeah. Have you have you watched Dylan? Have you watched on like on Get Out DVD or anything the um, alternate ending? I haven't. Yeah. It's it's. Oh, I saw it on YouTube yeah. though. Which it's just it's just uh, like. Uh, yeah, I would. No, please. Yeah, but basically, for anyone who I guess spoilers kind of for Get Out, I hope everyone has seen Get Out. Um, you know, yeah, Get Out has this ending where he's he's finally killed um, the sort of last of all the evil people. And then you see sirens and flashing lights come up and you think, oh, my God, the cops are now going to get him. And then it has this great ending where it's his friend who's there to save the day. And, you know, it's going to be all um, right. T-S. Yeah. You see this motherfucking A. Motherfucking A. <laughs> um, but originally it was just going to be the cops showing up and, you know, arresting him, which would have been the much more realistic ending. Um, but man, would have been dark. But that's not what that movie needed. Right. Though. Right. Yeah. yeah. That, and that would have Agreed. been an incredibly bleak ending. But I think it doesn't work for. I mean, that movie I think needs to have a more triumphant ending. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Ag- it, Agreed. I mean, it's not story. like it's a realistic movie <laughs> until that point, no. anyway. So I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Whereas with this movie, I think having a triumphant ending sort of ruins the the message that the movie's going for right yeah agreed so ebert quotes um i i this was an incredible ebert review for anyone that can find it online Mm -hmm. i think you should go read it i have a lot of stuff mentioned you guys go ahead i didn't i I was gonna say when um yeah we we sort of referenced it earlier but talking about um whatchamacallit um giddis uh jake's sort of similarity to um, Bogart or not in other mm-hmm. roles. And, and Ebert has that line, he plays a nice, sad man, <laughs> which, uh, bo- oh, yeah. That's where I was, yeah, it's at the very end of that I, paragraph. I, I at it's the, the very end of that part. paragraph where it just says he plays a nice, sad man. It's like, yeah, he does. Yeah. And, that, and just how much, like, the loneliness and the sadness mm-hmm. uh, kind of comes into this character more than, like, a Humphrey Bogart character would be. Right. Which is nice. Mm-hmm. Did you have any parts, Nick, that stood out to you in the Ebert essay? 
Yeah, I like the the very final paragraph. Um, so I guess mm-hmm. it's three sentences. But Chinatown, Chinatown was seen as a neo-noir when it was released, an update on an old genre. Now years have passed and film history blurs a little and it seems to settle easily beside the original noirs. That is a compliment. And uh, I think that's true. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. this this is really as uh, important a uh, noir film as something like The Big Sleep or Out of the Past um, or Double Indemnity mm-hmm. kind of up there. And this, I mean most noir movies have sort of downer endings like some some shit always seems to go down i guess mm-hmm. in the big sleep the the ending is pretty unequivocally happy mm-hmm. um but like out of I out of the so. past double indemnity uh other movies have sort of bleak endings mm-hmm. but this is i think top among those mm-hmm. i'd say out of the, out of the mm-hmm. past is really the only one of the like classic 40s noirs that comes close that's coming to mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, comes close. It still isn't close to Chinatown. No, 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 no. But. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, the only, I would say the only other movie I ra- wrote down as a reference, um, which is a version of noir, is In a Lonely Place, um, the Bogart mm-hmm. movie, which also one because it's a super LA movie, and there's some scenes like in some of the the LA buildings, and I'm like, oh, that looks just like in a lonely place. Um, and that's another noir that has a pretty like bleak ending. Again, not as bleak or dark as Chinatown, but still kind of like, well, all these bad things happened, and and we can't undo them, so that's just the way of the world kind of ending. Um. Yeah. So what else did you watch this week, Shannon? I watched a lot of things this week. Um, I've been finishing up New York Film Festival movies. Um, So I watched the new Hong Sang-soo, The Woman Who Ran, which was my first Hong Sang-soo movie. Um, So I I found it fascinating. Um, You've seen Mm -hmm. some of his before, Nick? Yeah, I've seen maybe four of his movies. I really wanted to okay. see this one, but it was um, yeah. sold out. But sold I've seen, out. Yeah. Yeah, I think four. Yeah, so I, I was new. What about you, Dylan? Have you seen any of his? Um, I don't like, think so, yeah. no. he, um <laughs> He has a very interesting style. Like, it's very <laughs> naturalistic, but he does, like, lots of sort of weird zooms in and zooms out and pans and holding <laughs> on, like, scenes and, and images for an extended period of time. Um, mm. I, I really like it. I hope it becomes available for people to watch. I do think it's pretty accessible. I had worried maybe not having seen any of his movies that it wouldn't be accessible, but it it is. It's a very straightforward story about a woman who goes to visit with some of her friends and um, they often eat apples together and have a nice time. Um, and every once in a while, <laughs> men show up to be jerks and ruin things. But otherwise, um, it's, a, it's a pretty nice little movie. Um, and then other New York Film Festival movies um, watched, I watched david burns american utopia which was really excellent and i can't wait for everyone to watch mm-hmm. it i mean i think i think if you like stop making sense you'll like it um you know it is a concert film um and david Byrne is just a really interesting guy and it's i can't wait to watch it a million times um over and over once it goes up on hbo max in just a couple of weeks here and then last night my last new york film festival movie i watched or at least the most recent one I have a couple more to catch up with, is um, French Exit, the uh, new Michelle Pfeiffer movie. Um, who directed this thing? It is directed 
Azaleel Jacobs? Az- yes, Azazel Jacobs. Um, but most interesting to me, it was written by Patrick DeWitt, adapted from his own novel. That's the same guy mm. who wrote The Sisters Brothers, which I loved mm. The Sisters Brothers. This is a very different movie. Um, it's it's a little Wes Anderson-y. It's a little strange. It's surrealist at points. Um it wasn't like fantastic, but Michelle Pfeiffer is is really good in it, um, and so I was glad that I watched it. Other than that, um, World of Tomorrow, uh, which we just talked about briefly, and then I've just been watching a bunch of um, Halloween and Halloween adjacent movies as well. Rewatched both Ready or Not and Cabin in the Woods this weekend. So, nice. yeah. What about you guys? Uh, what did I watch? I watched uh, The Accidental Spy, which is a, a not great Jackie Chan movie, but, you know, <laughs> it is a Jackie Chan sure. movie, so uh, he does at least kick people and stuff. Um, <laughs> I watched The Wicker Man, <laughs> which was a very fun right. movie, that the, the 1970s uh, movie. I want to watch that. Yeah, it was just the perfect... Is that another one where you already know the ending? Oh, for, yes. I, yes, I, yeah, I, I, I'm yeah. very aware of what The Wicker Man's about. Yeah, I, I knew the ending already. Um, Nelly did not, but it didn't really change my experience in watching it. Um, fun movie. Um, we watched uh, Hungry Wives, which is also called Season of the Witch, which is um, a uh, 70s, I guess, horror, horror-adjacent movie from uh, Romero. This one I was a little bit colder on. It's just kind of like, I thought it was poorly paced. It's kind of all the good scenes are dream sequences and everything that's not a dream sequence just didn't really do it for me um and then i watched world of tomorrow world of tomorrow 2 and world of tomorrow 3 (laughs) and then i watched and some sports a lot of sports this week this is gonna be the last like good sports week for a long time (sighs) yeah well we'll still have the world series but to have the finals sure baseball playoffs and yeah very fun yeah. yeah what did you watch this week Dylan? i watched four movies besides this and world of tomorrow three two and one i watched uh is this uh Lubitsch or is oh it's preston Sergis's uh sullivan's travels mm. which uh was the second preston Sergis movies i've seen besides the lady eve and i just love this dude so much so far he make so fun thoughtful witty movies and i don't know sullivan's travels was pretty damn perfect uh have either of you seen sullivan's travels yeah i have not no Hmm. i think it just came up in something recently this is again very boring podcasting oh no i know what it was um I think I know what it was. I was going to say, <laughs> well, because I wa- so I um, something else I watched this past week was um, the Nashville mm-hmm. Film Festival did a reunion for Oh Brother Where Art Thou, um, and they had musical performances. But the main one was they had a, a Zoom reunion conversation with George Clooney and Tim Blake Nelson and John Turturro, and they all talked about how they came to watch or came to be in the movie. And uh, George Clooney was like, I was so confused when I got the script because it was Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? He's like, and I, I wasn't super familiar with the Odyssey, but I am familiar with Sullivan's Travels, which is, <laughs> yeah, where Oh Brother, Art Thou comes from. Um, and so that's why I was like, oh, maybe I should watch Sullivan's Travels. Sounds like a good movie. So Oh, it's really nice. good. Um, then I watched, because uh, I'm trying to do a bit of a 2020 catch-up, um, the 
kind of going in alphabetical order, I started with Artemis Fowl, <laughs> which was just about as bad of a movie as could ever be made. It's And your takeaway was that it's not fun bad, right? It's just bad bad? Oh, no. It, it's just even bad, Even bad. the Josh Gad it, stuff? The Josh Gad stuff isn't fun bad? It's just bad bad? Do you, do you know what happens with his mouth I, in I've this movie? I've heard. I have not seen an image, but I have heard. Um... It's, it's terrifying. It's so okay. bad. And just the character of Artemis Fowl is already the most annoying. But, uh, ah, no. It was so bad. Fair enough. It was like Last Airbender bad. Like, you said you might want to uh, re- reorder your 2020 watch, maybe by uh, <laughs> yeah, quality by, priority uh, and alphabetical, because that really screwed you here. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's see. What actually does come next on the 2020? Hopefully it's better. Oh, it's The uh, it's the Assistant by Kitty Oh, Green, I haven't watched that. Which I've heard some oh, positive stuff Oh, I've heard great things about, about, really about it. About it seems the like assistant. a painful watch. Yeah, the yeah. assistant is sitting next to Never Rarely, Sometimes Always on my um, to-watch mm. list of like, gotta yeah. figure out when I'm going to be in the mood to do that, because I cannot yeah. imagine when that's going to be. But uh, So see, there's, there's good yeah. stuff. Although I did, I, I, the next one technically should have been the first one, but I, my parents are kind of wanting to watch it, I think, is called An American Pickle. Oh, the Seth heard some Rogan mixed movie. stuff about that Yeah, one. I've heard mixed. Yeah. Um, some good, some HBO bad. Max, we'll yeah. see. I think it's interesting, at yeah. least. Um, interesting so We'll concept, see about what, yeah. when I get to that. Um, and then I also saw uh, The Wayward Cloud, which is a Sai Ming Leng movie. I don't think that's how you say his name. Which, you've seen a couple of his movies, right, Nick? Yeah, uh, Stray Dogs and Journey to the West. Okay. Um, and you said Stray had... Dogs is, like, completely incomprehensible, right? It's It's one of the most challenging movies I've ever seen. Um, Journey to the West is a little bit more like sort of enjoyable and it's shorter. He's the guy who had um, a movie called Days playing at New York Film Festival that I ended up not uh, checking out, but he purposely just like, I'm not going to put subtitles on this. Yeah. You don't yeah, need that the was subtitles. When we, at, which, when we were, he does not care for your convenience. No, when we were looking at the, the three of us were looking at the New York Film Festival calendar to see what we wanted to watch, and that one, yeah, jumped out. It said like purposefully unsubtitled, and I was like, oh no, I just, <laughs> I, I can appreciate what you're going for, but I just don't, have, <laughs> I don't have it in me. Yeah, yeah. So no. I mean, that gives you an idea um, of how how he right. uh, kind his of approach. Yeah. Movies, yeah. Sure. And I think the way you described. Uh, I appreciate the approach, but I don't have it in me is about how I felt about the Wayward Cloud. Sure. Um, it, it was... <laughs> <laughs> we got you. Sorry. I like that you didn't I was going to say, you did not mute yourself. So. <laughs> it, it, did for, uh, it did an audacity. Oh, okay. Oh, right, 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 because you muted the microphone. Oh, good. Well, now we're talking about it, oh, so yeah. it's fine. Um, well, poor Evie. <laughs> she asked if her. I loved her outfit, so I had to tell her that I do love her outfit. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm sure it's great. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what her outfit is. I'm, I'm assuming I will love it, but uh, oh my god, so, technically I lied to work just now. She's got some amazing fashion sense. <laughs> uh, but the yeah, the wayward cloud is like I get your point, but I don't have it in me. There was a a, a lot. Uh, it, it, it opens on a gratuitous watermelon sex scene, and that's about all I need to say about the movie. Which, it's by the way, a um, lot about I the- I did not go like deep googling on that, but if you just look at the poster for the movie, it pretty much yep. the poster shows you the the gist of the watermelon sex scene. I think so. For people who are curious, the gist of the first of four positions <laughs> sure. that they use the watermelon sure. for. Sure, yeah. 
So between that so. and uh, calling by your name, we've got like nearly a whole <laughs> a lot of fruit, fruit, fruits, uh, fruit salad genre. Of. Yeah, could be it's a genre yeah. unto itself. Uh, yeah. So that was a no. So, but that 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 led me into watching my last movie of the week, uh, which is another criteria leaving criterion this week, which is only angels have wings, and it was the best fucking movie ever made. <laughs> and I just can't I can't get enough of it. It was so good. That's awesome. Uh, Cary Grant's the best. Uh, uh, Gene Arthur is the best, and uh, it's the best. And uh, Jen needs to watch it because it's it the best. Is it on? Do you know if it's on Criterion Disc as well? Like, is that? Do they have an it actual? Is. That's how, okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, and the discs and, and the cover is hella awesome. Nice. Um, yeah, just watch it, please. It's so much fun. It's so oh, hilarious wow, it's and so cool. sad and so suspenseful. It's the best. I, I loved it. I would watch this movie a hundred more times if I have the time. Cool. But uh, instead of watching it again, I will be watching Citizen Kane this week, Heck which yeah. is our next movie. Uh, Nick, Nick Nick's very excited to be hosting yes. this one. Uh, I, he's gonna be carrying this pod i cannot wait to talk about this movie oh we didn't we didn't speaking of uh <laughs> we didn't rate uh chinatown yet oh yeah oh oh my god that's uh, right thumbs up I, 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 I was setting myself up so just for such a good trans <laughs> transition but oops that's fine yeah thumbs up for thumbs me up. Uh, nick thumbs up <laughs> all right uh out of four Jana. um it's four from me it's four stars i mm. i really dug it Dang, Nick. Yeah. Oh, definitely four for me. I I pumped. I had huge fist pumping at Jana giving this four star. Yes, it was, it's like victory. Yeah, Nick took us a personal victory. Yeah. Uh, and I will give it a three out of three. Four. Wow. wow. Three. That's wow. I, I I. You almost convinced me to go three and a half, Nick. Um, with some of your points, and you did convince me with Apocalypse Now, and I changed my mind, and I kind of regretted it later. <laughs> Uh, just it, it's it's a very close three. Was it was it eating? Can I was it having to eat the fish five. with the whole head on? Is that what what uh turned you off? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was one of the many things. At least they didn't serve a chicken that there way. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so now I gotta make a very poor transition to. We're watching Susan Kane this week, yeah. guys. Yeah. And finally, where is Citizen Kane available to watch for anyone who would like to watch it, like me? Do we know? Let me see. HBO Max. I I I was looking at my other monitor and I looked back and Dylan was gone. I was like, ah. Um, Yeah, I was going to say, I thought I saw it on um, HBO Max watch list. So cool. And is it also on, um, if it's on HBO Max, I don't know if it's on Criterion or not, but. because I'm sure I, there's special features like crazy. I, yeah, I don't believe it's on Criterion. I know nah, that just um, HBO. If you buy it, at least on iTunes, and then like, of course, if you buy a hard copy, there's uh, oh. not not one but two audio commentaries. There's a uh, nice. Ebert, and there is a mm-hmm. Peter Bogdanovich audio commentary. Oh right, that's a famous commentary. Oh, there it is. Okay, maybe I'll do that. Yeah, I got the I got this. Big ass Ooh, DVD. There's a book. Nice. Yeah. This is my first DVD that I actually own from the book, I think, except 2001 so far. Um, it's very nice. It's got a, a, a rosebud on on the back sure cover. Does. Which, I don't know why that's huh. there. 
That's random. That's weird. I will say, so I've never seen Citizen Kane. Um, I can't, I literally cannot believe I'm finally going to watch Citizen Kane. At a certain point, it just got, well, yes! at a certain point, it just got to be like, I hadn't seen it. And I'm like, it's built up so much that I'm like, when am I going to watch this movie? Um, so I'm excited to watch it. Um, I do know a lot about it, but like kind of only like, I know Rosebud. I know, you don't know the I, I know, I know the deal with Rosebud, <laughs> but I don't really know much else about the actual plot of the movie. So, um, so you only know the twist yes, ending and nothing pretty much. Yeah, pretty pretty much. I know only another twist ending, but I don't. And I know sort of how it opens and closes and sort of what it's saying about this man and what we value in life and, you know, stuff. But, um, yeah, I'm excited, too. And I know also that it's, like, a William Randolph Hearst whole commentary thing. Um, I'm excited. I think it's going to be good. Nick, do you think Citizen Kane is going to be good? I think it'll be pretty good. It's a pretty good movie. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard good, good things. Fine. Yeah. Three out of four. Just like, <laughs> just like Chinatown. B, B, B plus. <laughs> it's going to wreck me. All right. Anyway, so that will be it for this week. Uh, you can find us at Twitter, Letterboxd at Great Movies Pod. Letterboxd, mm-hmm. Letterbox at Great Movies Pod. And you can find our cover artist, Scott Brady Artist, on Twitter at S Brady Artist. Am I missing anything? I think, I think we're, we're good. good. I think, I think we're that's good. it. So that will be a Roger out, All right, guys. Roger out. And when I go to the movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person. That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people.